Welcome to the Tell Us Something podcast. I'm Mark Moss. Um, we miss meeting with clients, and so much of what we do is creative kind of brainstorming and sitting in a big space together and whiteboarding ideas. And This week on the podcast, I visit with Melissa Kaplan, head honcha at one of Tell Us Something's in-kind sponsors. Gecko Designs is a full-service web design and marketing firm located in Missoula. They have clients around the world, and they have provided design online and in print since 1996. Thank you for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. Generally, each week I sit down with a Tell Us Something storyteller alumni. This week I do both. We've got a storyteller who actually is also a Tell Us Something in-kind sponsor. I worked with the team at Gecko Designs to rethink the Tell Us Something website back in 2017, and they have been providing hosting and routine maintenance for the website ever since. Join head honcha Melissa Kaplan and me for an in-depth visit about Gecko Designs, the Tell Us Something experience, and telling a story on the Tell Us Something stage. After our conversation, you can hear the story as she shared it with her husband and head honcho of Gecko Designs, Gabriel Silverman. Big thanks to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store, and thanks to our enduring sponsors, CabinetParts.com and Blackfoot Communications. Special thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula. How are you doing? We're okay. It's been, it's been um, interesting. Yeah. I'm over it. I'm yeah. over it. <laughs> we talked a little bit about family stuff and reflected about how the pandemic is affecting kids in ways that no other generation has experienced in our history. That naturally moved onto thoughts about how this experience is affecting older populations, too. And we started thinking about things that we miss from pre-pandemic days. We shut down that first day, like March 15th, whatever it was, we all worked from home. We tried to go back for about two weeks when numbers were essentially nil in the summertime. And we, we all went back very limited and very safety conscious. But the moment there was like a case in Missoula, we shut down again and we've been home ever since. Yeah. Are you going to maintain that space, do you think? For now, I mean, we're still paying mortgage payments on it every month. And I I think we're anxious to get back in. You know, we miss collaboration. I think that we've learned to, a lot of our staff have enjoyed the idea of being home. So when we floated the idea a couple of weeks ago, we talked about maybe we'll have two days a week where we all work from home, but that um, we miss meeting with clients. And so much of what we do is creative kind of brainstorming. And sitting in a big space together and whiteboarding ideas. And it's just not the same over Zoom. Right. I need to get the hell out of my house. uh, Yeah. Zoom is tough. Video conferencing, whether one uses Zoom or some other service, is part of life now. And there's no going back. The collective experience of a Zoom event isn't gone exactly. It's just different. We are all experiencing the event together, but the space in which we experience it is not a shared space. One person may be watching on their phone on the train. One person may be watching on their TV as they get dinner ready for the family. Someone else might be watching as they get ready for bed. We aren't all in the same room, breathing the same air. And that makes the experience inherently different than a live in-person event. And I hope we look back on this time and like be able to see some benefit from it. But now they're coming out with the studies of how, how impacted children have been. And even those, those studies are saying this doesn't even do it justice. The kids have been way more impacted 
from this socially, emotionally, educationally than, than we'll be able to capture right now. Right. I'm hopeful, Mark. I sure am that there'll be a vaccine and by next summer life will be normal. But until then, I'm going to keep eating and drinking a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and hiking a lot and biking a lot and camping. It's a balance. Yeah. It'll be tougher in the winter. Yep. Yeah. I know. I can't decide if I want the snow to come just to be able to have something to do with in the winter or if I want to keep this sunshine and days where we can still hike and all that. I can't decide. Yeah. I mean, I don't ski or anything, so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm opting for the sunshine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So has Gecko been able to use the opportunities that COVID is providing to do anything cool that you maybe wouldn't have done otherwise? I definitely think from an internal standpoint, you know, we had to think outside the box for, for sure. And we kind of all had to, I remember back in March being super worried, like how will we keep our staff engaged? How will we keep our staff employed? That was really scary because a lot of our clients not knowing what was coming were, were stopping contracts or, Um, canceling contracts that they were just signing. And so March and April were really scary and seeing the creativity and like kind of efforts that our staff made were a small enough group. And we all work really closely to try to make the business successful. It was cool to see that come out of it. Since then, our, our business kind of took a turn in like June and July when everybody realized like, oh, we, we need to be online. We need to be putting ourselves out there and our business has really been able to be more sustainable since then and doing really cool things for our clients to make sure that they stand out on the internet now that everybody's out there. Right. You know, before it might be that you you were out there but not the way you need to be now. And that's been really awesome, right? To see the ideas that our clients come to us with and then the ability of our team to make it happen is awesome. It's been awesome to see. Good. Yeah. At the pivoting. I mean, I mean, you probably know a lot about that. Yeah. Probably. I I saw that the word, the, the Webster word of the year was pandemic, but I think it should be like, you know, recreate or pivot or (laughs) probably on that list. I would imagine, (laughs) you know, like top 10 words of 2020. I'm sure they're both out there, but yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that it picked up for you in the summer. And I, I would imagine that's going to continue. I hope. I have no idea what to expect. You know, right. I think as clients start figuring out their 2021 budgets, uh, things look different. Marketing efforts look different. You know, and that's what we specialize is marketing, advertising, branding. And clients have really had to change. They've had to take a new approach with social media, which is kind of something we used to shy away from, taking on big social media campaigns and now trying to learn to embrace it, hiring some contractors that can help us learn the ropes with with social media campaigns a little bit more so that we can help our clients in that realm. You know, it's like we've been fall forced into this new atmosphere that nobody was super, super well-versed in before, or maybe they were, and now we have to tap into those experts. It's interesting that you're, you know, I, I always think of Gecko as like this pretty polished, you got your poop in a group kind of organization. And it's cool to, to hear you say, you know, we're learning too. And we're, we're taking on new skills, 
that maybe we didn't want to even take on, you know, in the pre-pandemic days. For sure. I mean, I think something, I mean, where Gecko, our expertise is marketing, advertising, branding, and making all that look really good on the web and in print. Our designers and our our creatives when it comes to brand and user experience really understand what they're doing. And then our team of software engineers that make it all actually that button that you push leads to this form that fills out and then it all generates these leads and you can even make a sale from it. I mean, it's all amazing that they can make that happen. But um, for sure, one of the areas that in the past couple of years that we shied away from was social media because it's its own kind of beast that I, I never felt like we had the expertise from. In fact, there was a client that came to us a couple months ago. Uh, I won't say the name of it, but it was a pretty big brand. And we work with a lot of this company's well-known brands. We've made their websites for them, businesses that are doing very well during the pandemic. And they came to us and said, we want you to run a social media campaign. And they had a very large budget, budget and it was hard to turn it down. But we said, we don't want to mess up with that. We don't want to take the chance that we won't succeed. But we learned and we took that opportunity to then hire a contractor who we said, if we got this opportunity again in the future, could you help us learn how to be better experts at it? Something that probably without the pandemic, maybe we wouldn't have been willing to take on, but knowing that we need to make sure that, you know, we employ nine Missoula folks, depending on what the year, you know, sometimes it's up to 13 staff that we employ and we got to make sure that there's still employed a year from now. They have homes, they have mortgages they need to pay. They, you know, have rent that they need to pay. We need to make sure that we're keeping them employed. And the only way to do that is to make sure that we're taking opportunities and not passing on them if we can. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear um, that -hmm. you're, I mean, it's a big responsibility, right? To have that many, that many employees, you know, just for myself, I'm my only employee and I was terrified in March what was going to happen. Do you think that people will flock back to the arts? I hope so. And to public events like that as soon as this is over? I mean, I think that there's going to be a, a lot of trepidation on, on the account of some people. I certainly will be very cautious because I don't want to have an event and then have that be known as a super spreader event, you know? At the same point, I feel like uh, there are opportunities to have in-person events and stream them. There's an opportunity there that's untapped. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if there's a hybrid, maybe, I don't know. I, I feel like too, um, the arts are so important for people to be able to process stuff and experience joy and celebrate so I think that they will flock to the arts, but how they do that is the question. I know, I mean, I'm dying to get out of my household. <laughs> I'm dying to like be away from my children for a night. And I know that the shared experience for many is like music. That's never been my outlet. For me, it was always tell us something. It was for sure the once every quarter going to a, we've, I don't think we ever missed one. <laughs> And the shared experience of it, of we're all walking out either with the tear in our eye because the last one made us cry or the, the story that we couldn't stop laughing at, or, you know, we're all in the street kind of murmuring 
that was my favorite time of tell something was afterwards, like walking out of the Wilma and the murmurs and the listening to all the conversations from everybody as they walked to their cars. And then, and even when Gabriel and I told our story, people would recognize us from around town. And I remember being at a, uh, it was a restaurant that closed down on the hip strip just recently. And we were there and somebody came up to us and says, Oh my God, you guys told that story. Uh, and it was just that shared experience. Like I'm looking forward. I may, I, maybe other people feel that like when they leave a music event, you know, like the, that they feel still, still feel those reverberations within them. I'm looking forward to that shared experience again. And it not being just within my household, you know, like, gosh, kids, that was a raging game of sorry, we just played like, <laughs> really can let go of that one or a really great Daniel Tiger episode. But <laughs> I just don't get it's just not the same, Mark, you know, yeah. it's not the same. I even had it, it happened the other day, we did a family zoom with all of my cousins from across the country. And we there were probably, you know, 16 different pods in their own homes. And we asked everybody to mute when they weren't talking and have everybody else go around and give an update, give a five minute update. I think I'm pretty funny. Like sometimes I have some one-liners that are funny, but because everybody was on zoom and muted, I could see their faces, but there were so many of them. And some people are looking away and trying to corral their children that like, I even felt like I couldn't give my one-liner or that it wasn't well-received because I didn't hear the, the response back. I didn't hear the ha 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 or the commentary. And it was awkward for me to be even just giving an update on how our family's doing out here in little Missoula, Montana, without that kind of feedback. So I could only imagine that I remember being up on, you know, on our tiny little stage when we told Tella something, but it was so helpful to see the nodding heads of my friends in the audience. And then to hear them laugh when we said something really stupid, which we did often during our, during our um, speaking event, but it was so helpful and really helped then feed the energy. So I don't know, you know, I haven't been able to figure out like what is that key to keep businesses that were like yours, the arts from creating that shared experience in a spot where it's very lonely existence. Yeah. I don't know. Going back to what you said, I think when it is safe to get back in person, I think like, you know, you're saying I'm done with sorry and Christopher Robin and whatever, like people are hungry for the arts mm -hmm. and people really need the arts to express themselves, to express their joys and their pains and their sorrows and to make human connections with each other and but how do you separate yourself? How do you, how do you get prepared for that day when the floodgates open, right? And everybody can go back out there. How do you make sure that you hit the ground running rather than having a slow ramp up period where people have spent their time kind of preparing, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm always asking our clients, like, how do we set you apart so that you're not just another website on the internet, another logo on the billboard? Yeah. what makes you different. It'll be interesting to see how businesses do that, right? Yeah. Especially in a place where we're really infiltrated in Missoula with, um, with great arts, which we're lucky for, but how do you make sure that people attend yours and not, you know, the 50 other that are going to be wanting you, wanting right. buyer's attention? Yeah. I don't know the answer. Me neither. Tell I me mean, when you figure it out. <laughs> so we talked about Gecko and the pivot that you've made. And we talked about the shared experience uh, that you love about Tell Us Something. 
Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience sharing your story? Oh my God. I loved it so much, Mark. <laughs> I loved it so much. And every time I go to a tell us something, I run through in my head the stories that I would tell again if I got to do it. And then I chicken out. I think that I loved the venue that we did ours at, at the Peace Farm. And I loved that I could be up there with Gabriel. I was pregnant, so I couldn't drink. And I remember you recommending that we do not drink ahead of time. But now when I think about it, I think the only way I'd be able to get through is if I could have like a glass of wine to calm my nerves ahead of time. It was so awesome. And to this day, we sell people that like, will Google our name and find it or listen to the podcast, you know, however you, all the different platforms of which you showcased it and people that still remember that story. And the bike is still above our bed. And so people see the bike and they go, that's the bike from the story. I learned so much during the kind of prep at your house. Do you still do that the way you did it before? Where you I mean, come I can't, and you... can't do it right now, huh. but we have been, yeah, up until actually um, John Sporman and Travis Yost came and set up their musical instruments in our front foyer when we did the dry run for the, for the uh, fundraiser. So, I mean, yeah, uh -huh. we, we yeah. still do that. Yeah. I mean, I learned, I still remember that very vividly our experience of going to your house, of telling the story. I remember the, the, the kind of tips and tricks that you gave us. And then I'm critical when I go to an event and they don't follow the tips and tricks you gave us <laughs> of the descriptors and how you should never try to get that punchline. Like it's not about the punchline at the end. And that making sure that we're really setting up the scene for people with the sounds and the colors and the smells and the tastes and um, the feelings. Like I, I remember so much about what you told us that now I, I not only do I use a lot of that in my storytelling to this day, but like I said, I think when other people are telling their stories and they went too long, they went over the gong, they didn't set us up properly. They tried too hard for the punchline at the end. I'm like, did they go to Mark's house? Do and they remember? It's required, but you know, I don't want it to turn into a manufactured sort of moth style event where it's so packaged, it's so perfect, and every pause is so well timed. Yeah. That feels too polished. Yeah. Yeah. So I like some of the failures that people have yeah. because <laughs> it's like they're human, you know? They're human. Yeah. 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 I, um, I have favorites too from tell us something that like, like I tell people about, you know, and I love to tell them and it, it, it doesn't do it justice from being in that room and hearing the laughs and hearing the unexpected kind of thing that they say. Um, I, I loved our tell us something. And like I said, every time Gabriel and I leave being like, well, you, you could tell that story. Like you could totally tell that. And then we chicken out and we never do it. Well, if I ever uh, am scraping for storytellers, I'm going to call <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Not unless we get to do it again. I did think that the dual telling was kind of fun to hear two different sides to one story. It was just a di something different that hadn't yeah. been done before. And I thought it was a cool way. I thought you and Gabriel were just spot on. You played off of each other so well. And 
you know, that's well, what I thought was going to happen with everybody. Yeah. Every time I would ask Gabriel if we could practice, he said, no, Mark told us not to practice. <laughs> we took it very seriously. Oh, great. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I kind of wanted you to walk into the bedroom and show me the bike. I totally can. <laughs> really dusty. <laughs> but it's still up there. It's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I think it's still, I mean, I think also part of it is just like, in Missoula, I think we're so far. So we're so far from Chicago now and like our life back then that it like is our piece of Chicago that still connects us to where we used to be. Hold on, let me turn my screen. <laughs> Can you awesome. see it? That's great. That's the, the bike. Ceiling. Oh, that's the bike. We had this like open spot. That's so in our cool. Bedroom. That yeah. Where are we supposed to? Thank you. Gabriel, Gabriel, I remember when we lived in Chicago, went downtown and did an interview with NPR and told that story. What show was it, Gabriel and NPR? Melissa called into the other room for Gabriel to ask him if he remembered the name of the guy or the NPR radio show. I don't remember the name of it that he did an interview with and told that whole story. So it wasn't just, you know, small town Missoula that liked it. It was even big cities like Chicago. I thought that was a funny story. I'm going to see if I can find it. Yeah. That'd be fun to listen to. Yeah, he got to go in studio. Oh, wow. Who was the host, Gabriel? It was the story. The story with Dick something. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. The show was called The Story with Dick Gordon, a weekly interview program that ended in 2017. I was unsuccessful in my attempts to find a recording of Gabriel's interview with Dick. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for sitting down with me today. I I think it was super fun to reconnect, and I'm so grateful for all the work that Gecko does for everybody in the community, but especially for Tell Us Something. Um, Well, we... We love it. We cannot wait for it to come back. And if there's, Me too. And if there's anything that we can do to help when that does happen or before then, please let us know because we're excited. I appreciate that. Melissa Kaplan Silverman and Gabriel Silverman met in Chicago in 2005. Gabriel grew up in Missoula and enjoys all forms of biking and skiing, building things with his hands and creating world-class websites. Melissa is a Detroit-born Missoulian at heart who enjoys running and baking. Melissa has been an organizational leader within Gecko Designs since 2005. In addition to her expertise in the customer service and project management arena, Melissa is always the last person to see the final project before it is sent to the client. This allows her to give a thorough and unbiased opinion on the project. Together, Melissa and Gabriel run the graphic design and marketing firm Gecko Designs. Tugboat, their golden retriever, can be seen sunbathing in the glass window of their office on Higgins Avenue when they are not working from home. A stolen road bike leads Gabriel Silverman and his then-girlfriend Melissa Kaplan to embark on their own little episode of Cops to Reclaim the Goods. Their story was recorded in front of a live audience on August 6, 2016 at the Peace Farm in Missoula, Montana. The theme that night was, that's not how it happened. They call their story, You Stole My Bike. Thank you for listening.
Uh, I had only ever known mountain bikes. I grew up here in Missoula, and I had a couple mountain bikes. Um, but when I heard in 2003, when I heard about a 200-mile bike ride that departed here out of Missoula, I thought I want to give that a try. Well, the thing about a, a, a long ride, like a 200-mile road ride, is you want to have a special bike that's built, that's aerodynamic, built for the road, built for long distances like that. They're called road bikes. I didn't have one. <laughs> I was a student at the time, and uh, and I didn't have a lot of money. And I find uh, a friend of a friend had a used road bike. Now this road bike, he was willing to sell it to me for $500. He bought it for probably like 2000. So I was getting a great deal on it. But still $500 was a lot of money for me. So he lets me make payments on it. And uh, I, I, I pay it off. I take it off to Oregon where I'm going to school and I have all these great experiences with it. I ride up Mount Hood. I uh, ride out to the ocean. I ride to uh, uh, Hood River. I ride from Seattle to Portland. This bike is super special to me. It's, it's kind of kind of becomes a, like an extension of my body, right? <laughs> I've never heard you say anything yeah, well, like that before. <laughs> so, a couple years later, uh, I moved to Chicago. Where we meet, and his life has changed forever, right? So, um, we're living in Chicago, and he had been sick the first couple of months of us dating, and I had already had a trip planned overseas. And so, we decided while well, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks, he would fly home to Missoula and get his tonsils out. Because that makes sense. You fly to Missoula from a big city like Chicago and get your tonsils out. <laughs> Was that why you came home? No, so I, I came home because I wanted my mom to take care of me and see me through this, and she, she's here tonight. She made me all kinds of milkshakes, and, and, uh, and that's why I came home to Missoula. Yeah. Uh, Nothing impressed me more when we were first started dating. Right. Right. So um, we had planned to get home around the same time. We hadn't seen each other in a couple of weeks, and um, the rules that his doctor had given him. His tonsillectomy had gone fine, but the rule was you can't fly for five days. Well, he decided to push that and fly home a day early. His his tonsillectomy was fine. And he said, I want to be home at the same time as Melissa. So he flew home a day early. And I got to our apartment um, a couple hours earlier than him. And it was one of those old brownstones where our apartment was on the third floor, but the basement was where our washer and dryer and our storage unit was. So I go into the basement to start doing laundry and immediately I could tell something was wrong. There was about six of our storage units all lined up and ours had very obviously been broken into. It was open, the lock was off. And so I go in, I see our our coins, our laundry money was, was taken, which was devastating. But more importantly that there were, um, we had two bikes. He had a mountain bike and a road bike and one of them was gone. So I give him a call in the cab and I, I, he was on the way from the airport to come back to our apartment and I said, Gabriel, I have some bad news. Your, one of your bikes is missing. So I, I want to know which one, which bike? Well, I didn't know. I mean, first of all, I'm from Detroit. We get a lot of stuff stolen, so it's not, I'm used to that. But, um, but also he's like, is it my mountain bike or my road bike? But we don't have mountains in Detroit. And now I know the difference, but at the time I didn't. And I said, I don't know, one of the, it, just one of the bikes, the yellow one is here. And that's all I knew. So the yellow one is my crummy mountain bike. And so my prized road bike was gone and, and a piece of me died that day. And I'm, I'm having mixed emotions because I'm really excited to see Melissa. Uh, I'm in the cab, we're, we're going back. Um, and, and that's gonna be a big reunion for me because we've been away for a week or something. Um, and <laughs> we had only been dating like three months. Give us, we were still in love right. at the time. Right now we call that a. <laughs> 
Yeah, now we, we call that a vacation now when I get to be away. <laughs> um, so I'm really upset. I get out of the cab and, uh, and I, I can't wait to see Melissa, but I'm also sad. And so she, you know, she can see that. And, and she's standing outside of the building. She meets me at the cab and I hug her. And, and I'd had a textbook tonsillectomy. Everything had gone perfectly. Literally at that very moment when I'm hugging Melissa, the, the areas, the sites in my throat that were previously home to my tonsils sprung open and started bleeding. And I, and I turned my head and I spit blood. And you would think we'd then get in the car and go to the ER right away. But instead he goes, call the police and we got to get my bike back. (laughs) So we call the police and they really didn't care. They are used to bikes being stolen. It's Chicago. Bikes are stolen all the time. They take our information and he's like, whoa, 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 wait, are you sure you got that it was a bike? And wait, there's, it's red and it has a little blue on it. They're like walking out the door and he's chasing them. Wait, tell me the phone number you have again. And is my name written down right? Right. When they get this guy, I want to be the one that they call right away. And I want to make sure that, that there's no paperwork fumbling or confusion. When you, when you track down the perp, you need to call me right away. We're going to get this thing back. They leave. They don't care. We go to the ER. They cauterize his tonsils. We go to bed eventually at four o'clock in the morning and life moves on. Right. It moved on. So I, I physically recovered a few days ago, but emotionally I was still a mess. My, my prized road bike was gone and I, and I really, I didn't know how to live without that. Um, as a piece of me that was gone. So um, I can't let it go. And then I jump on the internet. I jump on Craigslist and, uh, and I do a search. So the, the, the type of bike that it was, was, a, it was manufactured by a company called Fuji. And that's not super uncommon, but a bike like a Trek or a Specialized or a Giant, those are much more common. Um, and I, and I type in Fuji road bike search. And a few results come up and I click on, I I go through them and I find one that says Fuji team road bike, carbon fork, $400, which I thought was cheap if that was my bike. And, and I, and I, and there's really no information about it. There's no pictures, there's no details, nothing like that. And I think if you're bu- I mean, I haven't bought a bike on Craigslist before, but we've talked about if you're buying a, a bike or a car or something, you'd expect that people have, you know, this is how many miles it has been ridden on. This is um, where the nicks and dents are, the components, right. what they might be. Now I ride bikes now, actually, so I know a little bit more about it. Um, and, and pictures, for sure. There's none of that. But he didn't care. He convinced himself this was his bike, 100% hands down. Right. And, and in retrospect, I can see... Now hindsight is twenty twenty. I can see that that's very silly. Um, that I, I I probably should not have pursued it. Um, but I've convinced myself this is it. And uh, and so I so I email. I I click and I email the guy, and I say, hey, my name's Gabriel. Um, he always I, does this when he's telling a story with any correspondence. Oh yeah, I need air type. Air type. So I say. I say, my name's Gabriel. Uh, I'm wondering if you still have the bike. I might be interested. Uh, maybe I'd buy it for my girlfriend because that seemed more plausible than me buying it for myself. Um, and and I click send and and now I'm going crazy and I'm pacing back and forth in the apartment and, and I'm clicking check email, 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 and nothing's coming in. And uh, this is before everybody had smartphones. So a couple of people had, the cool people had Blackberries. I didn't have one. I just had a, you know, one of those flip phones so I could text message, but couldn't get my email, couldn't get the internet. Um, so I rig up this system uh, that that forwards my email to my cell phone via text message. 
and that allows me to unchain myself from the check email button. And and I and I go to the post office because I've got some something to do there. And uh, and I'm pretty stressed out. And I keep checking my phone, checking my phone. And the second I, I hear that thing or I feel that thing vibrate, I've got it. And I'm looking at it, and I've got an email from this guy named Mike. And he says, "Hey, Gabriel, um, I still have the bike, uh, but there's somebody coming to look at it this afternoon at four. And if it doesn't sell." Uh, I'll email you back and you come see it. And I'm thinking, well, of course it's going to sell. You know, you've got, it's dirt cheap and it's the best bike ever. And, and it's about to slip through my fingers. It's going to be gone forever. And, and I'm just certain that this is my bike. And I'm thinking, this is my one chance. If it, if it sells at four o'clock, I will never see it again. And I'll just have to figure out how to go on with my life without that bike. And I don't want to know what that feels like. So, uh, so at the end of his email, he said, um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if, if it doesn't sell Mike and then a phone number and, uh, any phone number, you might know this, any phone number that it, any landline has a physical address associated with it. If it's a cell phone, you don't know where that person lives, but you can do what's called a reverse lookup. So if you, if you plug that phone number into the internet and it's a landline, you'll get an address back. And I knew that. And, but I'm, I'm on my dumb phone and I can't, and I'm at the post office and I can't do that. So I call my mom who's here in Missoula at work. She always bails Again, me out. The- epicenter of technology here in Missoula. She's going she's right. to take care of it. Right. And I say, Mom, I, I just need you to do this thing. I can't explain it. You, you, I need you to do it right now. Um, you're, you're in front of your computer. Go to this website. Punch in this phone number. Give me the address. Goodbye. And so she, she punches in the number. She get, and it was a physical address. She gives me the address. And I say, thank you. I write it down. Um, I'm living in North Chicago. This address is in South Chicago. Uh, it's the about- The most dangerous <laughs> suburb, city. I mean, like area of Chicago. The most dangerous neighborhood. Of, if anybody knows Chicago, it's where all the- not like Inglewood. It's it's just a a dangerous part of Chicago. It's right near um, Midway Airport. It's 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 dangerous. But he goes anyways. Right. So I I, I uh, with traffic, I've got about an hour to drive uh, before I'm going to confront the guy that that I'm certain has my bike, Mike. Um, and uh, and so I I start driving and um, and I call him and I say, Mike. Gabriel, we've been emailing back and forth about the bike that you have for sale. I don't know where you live, because I'm on my way to his house. I don't know where you live, uh, but I work about a half mile from his address. I give him some some intersection. And um, and I was wondering, you know, maybe if you're anywhere nearby during my lunch hour, I could swing by and look at the bike. I don't know if that'll work. You know, maybe you're across town. I don't know. And and he says, oh, no way. You know, that's a half mile from me. I live at blah, blah, blah. And he and he confirms the address that I am that I'm just, you know, heading down the highway towards. Um, and I say and I say, oh, perfect. Um, I'll see you soon. And my next call is to Melissa. I page her. She's at work. He was not casually driving down the highway. I swear I could hear like highway to the danger. I mean, he's driving probably 100 miles per hour down Lakeshore Drive. He pages me. I was doing a rotation at, at a hospital. And if, if Gabriel paged me in the middle of the day, it's emergency. He goes, you have to meet me at this address. Um, and I'm, I need a backup. I'm not going to do this by myself. <laughs> I'm going to save him. Yeah. So I say, great, I'll meet you there, but we should probably call the police. That's, I would just recommend it. Okay. So you call, go ahead. Okay, so I, so I call the police and, and I give him the whole story and I say, I found my bike. Um, And, uh, 
It's a it's a five thousand dollar bike, so you should be really interested. And it was a little bit of a lie because it was a it was a five hundred dollar bike that was being sold for four hundred dollars. But I thought that maybe that would mean that the Chicago police are more interested, thousands instead of hundreds, and I don't know. Um, and uh, and I said, found the guy that's got my bike. Um, need your help. And they said, oh, okay, well, uh, let's let's have you meet us around the corner from his house, because I guess that uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to stage this police operation in front of his house. So, so we meet there, and Gabriel gets there, so he has his car. I came from the other side of Ch- South Chicago, and uh, one police officer gets there. So now there's a three cars, and Gabriel tells the story, and the woman says, well, let's, let's get some backup. So she calls another police officer. <laughs> And she hears the story, and then she says, I think we need the undercover unit. (laughs) So now we're sitting here thinking, it has got to be a slow drug day in Chicago. Why are there (laughs) two cops, the undercover unit, and us? And I'm looking at Gabriel like... Shit! This better be your bike. Right. This was this was the was this was the one day in Chicago where people weren't killing each other and and you know the police had nothing to do and so they so they all showed up around the corner from Mike's house and and I, and I'm 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 feeling like on the one hand I'm feeling like this is great this is I'm in cops and I know how this works like we're gonna do this I'm part of it it's awesome um, but I'm also thinking you know like. 30% of the Chicago police force is here talking to me now. And um, maybe I really didn't have much to go on with this Craig, with this vague Craigslist ad. And what am I going to do when when Mike brings out this girl's pink huffy bike and is like, you know, here, you know, <laughs> just take it. Um, what do I do? Do I try and save face and be like, that's right, take it. Or or I, I don't know what to do, but there's a, I'm starting to realize that this is, uh, that maybe my logic wasn't totally there as much as I thought. So the undercover unit shows up. And this was really like part of a movie. I mean, they could not have been more stereotypical undercover. We think it was a purple Monte Carlo. We think, because that's what they drive in the movies. But I'm 90% positive it was. And I mean, it comes rolling up with like rap music playing in the background. The doors open and like plumes of smoke come out. These two guys that are a good 350 each hop out. They're in jeans and um, bulletproof vests underneath their flannel shirts that are unbuttoned but you can see their what's the harness that they wear around their shoulders to keep their two cannons in um they are they don't they're not trying to hide that they are undercover cops and cigars each of them had a cigar um and they walk up and and they're going to pretend they get out of the car and we're like you're not a cyclist you're not you can't fool anybody this is you're the undercover you know this is ridiculous but the whole thing is that they can't just walk up to the house as police officers and say hey show us a bike they have to pretend like they're gabriel coming to buy the bike because the law states that he has to bring the bike out to them present it and then they can potentially right because there's no warrant so if mike thinks that these people that gabriel on his front doorstep might be a police officer (laughs) i don't know why anybody would think that when they look at these guys but if they think that then if mike thinks that then he might just say i don't know what you're talking about and close the door and that would be the end So they take down the information and they're like, okay, well, so I'm Mike and that guy answering the door is going to be Gabe. And Gabriel's like freaking out. And he's like, no, 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 get it right. You got to get it right. I'm Gabriel. You guys are Mike. They straighten them out. They they get back in their car with their cigars and they drive around the corner and they said, stay here. We'll walkie talkie over to you when we're ready. 
Gabriel's pacing. We've got the two of us, our two cars, the two cop cars, sirens and lights ready to go on at any moment. And we get the call that we can come around the corner. I don't think Gabriel even closed the door of his car that he was driving. And he zoomed around the corner so fast, like ahead of the two cop cars, zooms around the corner. I heard the screeching of the tires, drives up on the guy's lawn. Well, like, this, pulls his car well this is cops. That's what you do. And I've got, I've got, I've got two emotions going on. So I've got, I've got 50%. Oh crap. This is, there's no way this is my bike. And 50%. This is cops. Let's get this guy. You I'm part of it. I'll do the, the takedown. Slid across the windshield if it was cops. Right. Like, the hood. Yeah. Might yeah. as well. So he gets out of the car. He goes nuts. Here's Mike standing on his front lawn um, with one of the police officers um, holding handcuffed him behind his back. And Mike is in um, whitey tidy underwear and a, a wife beater tank top. Um, and one of the cops is, like I said, holding him. And the other cop is the undercover cop is standing there holding Gabriel's bike. And Gabriel thinks he was all casual about it. But he goes running up to this guy going, you stole my bike. You stole my bike. And Mike's standing there like, I didn't steal your bike, ma'am. But it didn't matter. We took it to the police station and filled out some paperwork. And a couple hours later, we went home with Gabriel's bike. So... (laughs) So... Several years later, I got another road bike, but that Fuji has a special place in my heart and I won't let it out of my sight and I don't ride it anymore because it's mounted on the wall above our bed in our home. Thanks, Gabriel and Melissa. If you want to support what we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation to Tell Us Something now. Go to tellussomething.org and click the handshake support icon in the top right-hand corner. You can also tell someone about the show. Recommend Tell Us Something to just two people who have never listened to it. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. You can also get some cool Tell Us Something merch at tellussomething.org slash shop. Great stuff in there for your holiday giving needs. Thanks again to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. Shop less, shop solo, and shop fast. Now offering curbside pickup. Learn more at goodfoodstore.com. Thanks also to our enduring sponsors, cabinetparts.com. The number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997. Providing the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price with knowledgeable hardware specialists. Cabinetparts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. Blackfoot Communications. Since 1954, Blackfoot Communications have fostered a reputation based on exceptional customer service and community involvement. They deliver superior technology solutions through trusted relationships and enrich the lives of their customers, owners, and employees. Learn more at blackfoot.com. Thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula. Offering weekly meal delivery to nourish your family and friends, have a look at the menu and order online at truefoodcsa.com. Thanks to Cash for Junkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. Thank you to our in-kind sponsors. Log Jam presents. Top Hat Restaurant and Bar is open with limited capacity in-house dining and takeout. The Top Hat also now features geodome dining, social distancing taken to the next level. 
Their new private geodomes seat two to six people and are perfect for staying warm and cozy while enjoying local food and drink through the winter months. Learn more and reserve your dome at logjampresents.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company. Learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Float Missoula, formerly known as Enlightened Lab Float Center. Learn more at floatmsla.com. Hey, I'm Anna Sulia, a nurse of physiotherapy. We want you to move better and feel better so you stay in motion. Learn more at nurseofphysiomt.com. Geckodesigns.com, missoulaevents.net. Podcast production by me, Mark Moss. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit tellussomething.org. Stay safe, wear a mask, take care of yourself, and take care of each other.